Letters 58 to 62 of The Power of Sympathy or The Triumph of Nature Founded in Truth by William Hill Brown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 58 Worthy to Harrington. Boston. You argue as if your reason were perverted. Let your mind be employed, and time will wear out these gloomy ideas. For it is certainly a truth. The love of life increases with age. Your letters, therefore, are predicated on the most erroneous principles. Remember the story of the old man, who had been buried in a dungeon the greater part of his life, and who was liberated at an advanced age. He viewed once more the light of the sun and the habitations of men. He had come into a new order of beings, but found their manners distasteful. In the midst of the sunshine of the world, he remembered the prison where he had wasted his life, and he sighed to be again immured within its walls. Such is our passion for life. We love it because we know it, and our attachment becomes the more riveted the longer we are acquainted with it. Our prison grows familiar. We contemplate its horrors, but however gloomy the walls that surround us, there is not one but sets a full value on his dreary existence. There is not one but finds his partiality for his dungeon increase in proportion to the time he hath occupied it. For among the race of human beings confined in this narrow spot, how few are they who are hardy enough to break their prison! Let us watch over all we do with an eye of scrutiny. The world will not examine the causes that give birth to our actions. They do not weigh the motives of them. They do not consider those things which influence our conduct. But as that conduct is more or less advantageous to society, they deem it madness or wisdom, or folly or prudence. Remember this. Adieu. Letter 59 Harrington to Worthy, Boston. You are egregiously mistaken, argue as you will. My perceptions are as clear as anyone's. The burden that is at first heavy and inconvenient galls us as we proceed. It soon becomes intolerable. We sink under its weight and lie gasping in the public way along before night. As to the world, who strives to please it will be deservedly rewarded. He will reap his labor for his pains. Let it judge of my conduct. I despise its opinion. Independency of spirit is my motto. I think for myself. Letter 60. Harrington to Worthy, Boston. How vain is the wish that sighs for the enjoyment of worldly happiness. Our imagination dresses up a phantom to impose on our reason. As Pygmalion loved the work of his own hand, so do we fall in love with the offspring of our brain. But our work eludes our embrace. We find no substance in it, and then fall a-weeping and complain of disappointment. Miserable reasoners are we all. Why should I mourn the loss of Harriet any longer? Such is my situation. In the midst of anxiety and distress, I complain of what cannot be remedied. 
i lament the loss of that which is irretrievable so on the sea-beat shore the hopeless maid unmindful of the storm bewails her drowned lover letter sixty one worthy to harrington bellevue i thank you for your letters but i wish you had something better for the subject of them the sad repetition of your feelings and sorrows pains me exceedingly i promise to be with you soon perhaps before you can receive this letter whatever concerns my friend most sensibly affects me you harrington are the friend of my heart and nothing has so much grieved me as the story of your misfortunes it is a maxim well received and seems to be admitted an article in the moral creed of mankind that the enjoyments of life do not compensate the miseries since then we are born to suffer and pain must attend us in all the stages of our journey let us philosophically welcome our companion the most eligible plan we can adopt is to be contented in the condition that providence hath assigned us let us trust that our burden will not be heavier than we can bear when we adopt this plan and are sensible we have this trust our lesson is complete we have learned all we are arrived to the perfection of subluminary happiness do not think i am preaching to you a mere sermon of morality let me impress your mind with the folly of repining and the blessing of a contented mind let me entreat you not to puzzle your brain with vain speculations if you are disposed to argue do not put foolish cases that never existed take the light of facts and reason from them when we are surrounded with miseries of life the baseness of false friends the malice of enemies when we are enveloped in those anxious fears the result of too much sensibility human nature feels a degree of oppression which without a manly exertion of reason and this practical philosophy would be intolerable i have heard you mention st evermond as a philosopher of this kind arm yourself with his prudence and fortitude he though in exile though reduced almost to penury and laboring under the disadvantages of a bad constitution lived to be a very old man he established a course of rational pleasures for when the mind is employed we regret the loss of time we become avaricious of life when misfortunes come upon us without these consolations it is hard i acknowledge to buffet the storm it is then human frailty is most apparent there is nothing left to hope reason is taken from the helm of life and nature helpless debilitated nature lost to herself and every social duty splits upon the rocks of despair and suicide we have seen several examples of this by exploring and therefore shunning the causes let us avoid the catastrophe the pensive and melancholy will muse over the ordinary accidents of life and swell them by the power of imagination to the heaviest calamities hence we find a treacherous friend will sensibly affect some men and a capricious mistress will destroy a real lover hence people in misfortune frequently construe the slightest inattention into neglect and insult and deem their best friends false and ungrateful the sting of ingratitude deeply pierces the heart of sensibility the passions and affections which govern mankind are very inconsistent men confined to the humble walks of life sigh for the enjoyment of wealth and power 
which, when obtained, become loathsome. The mind unaccustomed to such easy situation is discontented, and longs to be employed in those things in which it was formerly exercised. The greatest rulers and potentates become unhappy. They wish for the charms of solitude and retirement, which, when attained, become more irksome than their former condition. Charles V of Spain resolved to taste the pleasures of a recluse life by abdicating the throne. He soon found his imagination had deceived him and repented of the step he had taken. This lazy life, when compared to the business and grandeur of a court, became tasteless and insipid. The day, says a historian, he resigned his crown to his son, was the very day in which he repented making him such a present. It is a great art to learn to be happy in the state in which we are placed. I advise you to mingle in the concerns of your acquaintances. Be cheerful and undisturbed, nor give yourself up to those gloomy ideas which lend only to make you more wretched. If such obtrude themselves, avoid being alone. I had rather been a dupe to my imagination than sacrifice an hour's calmness to my sensibility or understanding. Determine to be happy, and you will be so. God be with you. Letter 62 Harrington to Worthy, Boston When we seek for diversion in any place, and there is nothing to be found that we wish, it is certainly time to depart. Tomorrow I go. There is nothing here that can calm the tumult of my soul. I fly from the sight of the human countenance. I fly from the face of day. I fly from books. Books that could always cheer me in a melancholy moment are now terrifying. They recall scenes to my recollection that are past, pleasant scenes that I am never more to enjoy. They present pictures of futurity. I just opened a book, and these words that I read. The time of my fading is near, and the blast that shall scatter my leaves. Tomorrow shall the traveller come. He that saw me in my beauty shall come. His eyes shall search the field, but they will not find me. These words pierce me to the quick. They are a dismal prospect of my approaching fate. Tomorrow I shall go. But, oh, whither? Oh, my friend, when we find nothing we desire in this world, it is time to depart. To live is a disgrace. To die is a duty. Farewell. End of Letters 58-62